Monday, February 11th, 2019. I am Dave Biddle. Very happy to be joined by Steve Hellwagon. Steve, my man, let's start off the show with some football, and we'll end the show with the big hoops win over Indiana yesterday. But uh, on the gridiron front, we learned Friday afternoon that Justin Fields is eligible right away for the Buckeyes in 2019, presuming he beats out Matthew Baldwin for the job. What do you expect out of Fields this fall, Mr. Hellwagon? Well, I think that it's set up perfectly for him to have a great season, actually two great seasons, because he's only going to be a sophomore uh, eligibility-wise. So, uh, you know, he can't leave to go to the NFL until after his third year, so under the current rules. So I think it sets up perfectly uh, for Ohio State to have what looks like a pretty good two-year run with Justin Fields. Maybe they can continue uh, their string of Big Ten championships and – Uh, get back into the college football playoff. I think that is the goal. Uh, Ryan Day uh, is is somewhat under the gun to produce the similar or uh, better results, if you will, than his predecessor, Urban Meyer, and getting Fields eligible is a big part of that. I think everybody believed it was an open and shut case, and seemingly it was. It was decided here in early February, so Ohio State can make all the proper plans that it needs to make. It sounds like he's assimilated pretty well within this Ohio State uh, football program. He and Matthew Baldwin uh, will be competing for the starting job in the spring. Most people, I think, would believe that it's Fields' job certainly to lose, and I think that uh, he is going to be poised and primed to have a great season. You know, you look at what uh, the guys at Clemson with Lawrence and and Tua Tagovailoa at – Alabama, you know, those kind of things that guys have done as freshmen and sophomores are just mind-blowing. And uh, I think if you're an Ohio State fan, you've got to be really excited to see uh, if if Fields can kind of live up to that same hype. So, um, you know, there's a lot of anticipation going into this season. What direction is Ryan Day going to take Ohio State football? And uh, my feeling is it's going to be – a lot of the same of what we've seen. I mean, you, you hope that they don't have those losses like Iowa and Purdue going forward, but uh, certainly they're going to be in contention for the Big Ten in a playoff uh, position, it seems, at least for the next couple of years. There's a lot of debate out there, not not amongst Ohio State fans. Ohio State fans are just happy he's eligible, period. Um, forget about it. Um, but especially outside of the program, there's a lot of debate and not just some people. I mean, there's a lot of Ohio State haters out there that just are doing it just because they don't like Ohio State. But I do feel like there are some people that are neutral observers that have a problem with Justin Fields being granted this immediate eligibility because they say nothing against Fields, nothing against Ohio State, but this just opens up too much of a can of worms where a kid can have, in their opinion, a flimsy excuse. I don't think it's really a flimsy excuse, but um, and you know, it's really now free agency in college football. So a lot of people are saying this is just you know. This, this is egregious. He should not have been granted immediate eligibility. 
What do you say to that? Do you see that side of the coin? Like, if this was if this was happening at Penn State, if Fields is all of a sudden eligible at Penn State, would, would people like we might be bashing that? People say, um, just where, where do you come down on all of that, Steve? I think I'm okay with what happened here, and not necessarily just because it was Ohio State. Okay, let's let's backtrack. Shea Patterson gets an immediate eligibility because Ole Miss uh, was hit with sanctions. Now, some people think that Patterson may or may not have been involved in some of the situations that led to them having sanctions. I don't know. I didn't read it all that closely, but I 100% agree with the idea that if a, if a school goes under sanctions that a kid should be able to go somewhere where he can play in a bowl game and compete for a conference championship and compete for a national championship. I don't have – so the Shea Patterson thing to me was open and shut. If Old Miss was going under sanctions, he should have been allowed to go, which he was. We've seen any number of instances where they call hardship, um, you know, for family reasons or whatever. But this didn't, that didn't have anything to do with this either. What this was was a textbook open and shut case. If you read the statute, a hostile environment, a threatening environment, things that you know are done or said against you, uh, it's pretty. It's pretty much black and white. You don't even need to be a lawyer to read that and understand that Fields had an open and shut case. A baseball player at the school uttered a racial epithet that was I don't know if it was caught on tape. It was, yeah, yeah, because it was in it was in the stands of Georgia's game against Tennessee, and this young man's last name was Sasser. I don't know if he's related to former Major League Baseball player Mickey Sasser, but he was kicked off the team. He was kicked out of school, and yeah, he was caught on film in the stands yelling the N word in Fields' direction. Now Fields didn't hear it. I mean, this is a guy yelling, being drunk in the stands, acting like a jackass. So, yeah, so just for the listeners that didn't realize, that's what happened. So, yeah, I, I, that's why I don't think it was a flimsy excuse, but you do hear a lot of people saying that. So go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I don't think the use of that word is a flimsy uh, thing, particularly by another student athlete at the school. So it kind of strikes to what is the climate, and I don't want to throw the entirety of the University of Georgia under the bus, but if it's accepted for an athlete to say something stupid like that, um, then, or, or that it even happened. I mean, that to me is just the most unbelievable thing that in the year 2019 somebody had the good or bad sense to say something like that in a public arena just just is crazy, just, you know, as kind of an outcry. So at any rate, uh, I didn't have an issue one bit with what Fields did. I think, uh, you know, there'll be similar situations that arise in the future. I don't think playing time which is what some of these uh, things are coming back to, is, uh, is an acceptable thing. But if a coach is abusive physically or over-the-top verbally or says something racially offensive or something like that or whatever it may be, then that to me is acceptable as well. So I think you have to take it on a case-by-case basis, read the statute as it's written to protect the student-athlete, and uh, I didn't have one issue with this at all. And I think, you know, anybody with half a brain doesn't have one issue with this. It's the Georgia people and the Michigan people who, you know, are looking at it through rose-colored glasses who are saying that this shouldn't be. Well, join us here at 2019. What happened isn't acceptable, and he should have the freedom to walk away with no penalty or sanction against him. So that's just my feeling. 
One more thing about this, and we'll move on. And I agree with everything you're saying. I'm with you. Um, but I'm going to play devil's advocate because here's another thing I hear a lot, and it does. It is an interesting point. If he is able to leave George and be eligible immediately because he's saying it's, an, it's a racist environment, we don't know exactly what the appeal was. They're not telling us. What do you make of people saying, well, how can he say that and his little sister is now going to go play softball for Georgia. If it's a racist environment, why would he be okay? Why would the parents be okay with sending their daughter there slash Justin's sister there? Like, what do you say to that argument? Well, I don't think that things stretch across a family that way. So I, you know, her experience and his experience are two different things. And what she's doing in some regards would be considered under the radar as a softball person, although, you know, she will be an athlete on the playing field. It's her comfortability. If she's okay with it, if her parents are okay with it, that's fine. But his experience at the university was tainted, and you can't put that toothpaste back in that bottle. It just doesn't work. You can't put it back in the tube. So uh, to me, he has uh, an open and shut case, and she's her own independent person. Maybe Georgia has the best softball program in the world. Again, I haven't done a deep dive to know, is she a prize softball prospect? Is it a great program? I assume since they could play year-round, it probably is. But, um, you know, it, it's, it is what it is. They're from, I think, Kennesaw, Georgia. So I think that you look at it and you just say it's her home state school. That's where she's dreamed of being. And, uh, you know, Justin was very conciliatory in his address. He, he You know, the the statement they put out, on Friday when he was made eligible was very eloquent and he you know basically said he has no ill will or feeling toward the Georgia community or anything like that it was just an isolated incident that was completely unacceptable and in my mind tainted his experience and his enjoyment of his experience at Georgia which is what it should be all about well said let's move on um Let's talk one more football talk before we move on to basketball to end the show. Um, we got a chance to meet Ryan Day's new assistant coaches last Wednesday, and you know I was so impressed. Steve, this is our you know first time having you on the show since uh, um, we got a chance to meet those guys. Just what stood out to you? Maybe the guy that impressed you the most? Just anything you want to say about this uh, group of coaches we got a chance to chat with last Wednesday? Oh, uh, maybe Jeff Halfley, the new defensive coordinator. To me, he was. Yeah. Uh, very impressive. Uh, seemed like uh, he and Greg Madison had gotten on the same page uh, early in this process about how things were going to go. And uh, just the way that it all came together, I think, for Coach Day. You go back to December when he took over uh, the head coaching position, there was a lot of speculation about what direction things were going to go. And would he retain Greg Shiana? And uh, Shiano has obviously landed on his feet with the New England Patriots. So good for him in some regards. But I just look at it and I say uh, that it couldn't have gone much better for Ryan Day in assembling a new staff. And uh, I think that uh, it's going to be very exciting uh, next few years at Ohio State with this bright group of assistants. Mike Yursich, also very impressive. Uh, Matt Barnes coming from Maryland where he was doing special teams and defense, <laughs> both, I think, in that makeshift staff for Matt Canada. 
that was uh, a good story, I think, on his part. So, you know, I think you've got uh, five, uh, and I have even mentioned Al Washington and only mentioned uh, Greg Madison in passing, all of them bright and impressive, and I think that uh, it's going to be uh, fun to see what happens here going forward. All right, on the hardwood, Ohio State, what a big win, 55-52 to over Indiana in Bloomington yesterday. You were there. Game was ugly at times, but as you know, Steve, I mean, any win at Assembly Hall in Bloomington is huge. The Buckeyes now have won three straight games. They sit at 6-6 six and six in the Big Ten, 16-7 overall. They are projected to make the NCAA tournament by everyone who does the bracketology stuff for a living. Uh, Steve, what, what a crucial win for the Buckeyes. Just just when it looked like the Hoosiers were going to pull it out, the Buckeyes pulled it out. Yeah, Ohio State led the game for about 38 minutes from basically the early moments. It was tied, I think, 2-2. Two to two, And then Ohio State was up 11-2 to two after that and led most of the way. Indiana uh, had a great comeback to, to take the lead toward the end. But then C.J. Jackson basically took the ball and flung it in for three points to tie the game. Uh, Musa Jallo got a, a, a poke away uh, when they tried to put the ball inside to their star, Romeo Langford. And then at the other end, uh, obviously, they ran an amazing play. It, it appeared Andre Wesson was going to set a screen high toward midcourt for C.J. Jackson to come off of. Caleb Wesson had brought his man out of the paint and had spotted up at the three-point line. So the paint was wide open, and Andre Wesson slipped behind all the defenders caught the lob and dunked it, and then, of course, uh, Langford came down and missed the shot. Uh, Muhammad, one of two at the foul line. Uh, Indiana missed one more potential game-tying three-pointer, and the Buckeyes get out of there with the win. Ohio State just 11-33 and all-time at Assembly Hall, and just the third time that they've won consecutive games there since the building was built in 1971. So that'll give you an idea of just how rare it was, although – this is far from a vintage Indiana team. <laughs> They've been uh, beset by injuries. He plays a lot of young players like Langford, the freshman. Rob Finnessy is a freshman. I would hate to play that team in about three weeks when they get things kind of figured out a little bit more. They're just something intangible that's missing for Indiana right now. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but uh, you know they were miserable shooting the ball. Yesterday, and I think some of that has to do with Ohio State's defense. People will point fingers at Ohio State and say, okay, they've won four of their last five, but the teams that they've beaten don't have very good records, and, and certainly Illinois doesn't have a very good record either. They're coming in Thursday night, and I think that's all true, but I think even against good teams, Ohio State can be competitive because of their length. I mean, you look at Andre Wesson at six seven, Musa Jallo did an outstanding job defending Langford for the whole, and, uh, you know, I just think that uh, you got a young kid like Luther Muhammad who's coming on. Uh, Dwayne Washington will spark a couple threes here and there. Uh, Caleb Wesson, when he's uh, in tune and able to cleanly catch the ball inside and make a move, he's pretty dangerous. And C.J. Jackson, you know, kind of you, you live kind of by how he goes up and down, but uh, this is a team that uh, – is poised, as you said, to go to the NCAA tournament. And uh, not a vintage Indiana team that they won, but certainly a tough place to play. And I think that uh, they get beat Illinois. They can get uh, over 500 in the Big Ten, 7-6 and six going into the stretch drive. I think that win gives them a chance, dare I say it, to end up 11-9. and nine. And that's just by winning the games that they should. 
Uh, I think uh, they've got three tough road games, Maryland, Michigan State, Purdue, that don't uh, bode too well, but uh, they still play Northwestern twice, uh, Iowa at home, Illinois at home, and Wisconsin at home. Uh, it's potential that they could go 5-0 and in those games. So, you know, I think best-case scenario, 11-9, uh, 10-10 and is, is certainly a possibility, and I think they can even make the tournament at 9-11. If that's uh, if they were to slip up and lose maybe to Iowa or Wisconsin at home, but they have uh, that's a big road win. They were 38 in the net rankings. I'm interested to see when those get updated. It's not like the RPI; they're not updating it every day. But my guess is that'll probably get them five more spots. A road win against the top 50 team that'll move them up to uh, probably 33 or so, which is very safe in the field at this point. Indiana had some nice wins on their ledger, you know, against Louisville, yeah. against Marquette, you know, Michigan State. So that's that yeah. that helps Ohio State. Now that that's the one and only time they'll play Indiana, as you mentioned, Indiana ranked you know a top fifty team themselves. So yeah, that was a that was a quality win for the Buckeyes yesterday. So uh, great stuff as always. Steve Hellwagon is always a quality guest. Um, some housekeeping notes, real quick, Steve has a chat tonight at 9 p.m. on the Front Row Message Board, so make sure you check out Steve's chat tonight, 9 p.m. on the Front Row Message Board. You can ask him questions right now. Get on there, ask him questions. He'll answer it beginning tonight at 9. And the Joshua Perry Show, the second uh, version of the Joshua Perry Show, will be posted today at 2 p.m., so look for all of that and more on Bucknuts today. Thanks again to Steve Hellwagon, and thanks to all the listeners. Let's go to Buckeye Swag, best damn band in the land. Bye. 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 Bye.